Welcome to Vicious Whispers with Mark Tullius, your source for horror, sci-fi, suspense, and all things violent. Thank you so much for joining me today on Vicious Whispers with Mark Tullius. I took a little break. Didn't know if I was going to come back. Um, still don't know exactly what is up with the podcast. I had been, let's see, I think we did 240 episodes, 242 episodes not sure if I had some that were missed, but I think I was pretty consistent. So that's like four years, over four years in a row. And then for me, just to stop out of nowhere, that should tell you something. Part of it was that I've been thinking about stopping the podcast just because, fuck, sometimes I'm busy. Ever since I started doing jiu-jitsu in the morning, that's kind of messed things up a little bit because Friday mornings I used to record it, but now I'm getting up early to go to train jiu-jitsu. I was up early today to go train jiu-jitsu, but I'm still sick. And so to protect my teammates, I have to stay out of the gym. I also stayed out of the gym on Wednesday because for the same reason. I was starting to feel sick. I wasn't sure if I was. I hate that feeling, too. It's like I feel fine enough to go train, but if I'm getting sick, I do not want to get my teammates sick. So that is why I am here is the last class of the year, last official class, but all of next week we're having open mats, which are my favorite anyhow, just go and roll. So I will be doing that hopefully every day. Hopefully I'll be able to go every day and roll uh, as long as I'm feeling better. So last time I talked to you guys, I was about to head to Vegas for the Nogi Worlds IBJJF uh, competition. Well, I was mad at myself for my performance, but then some, you know, talking to my teammates, talking with my wife, talking with my coaches, talking with friends through the newsletter, all helped me put that in perspective. Man, it was a super close match. Uh, it was a five-minute match. My opponent had come all the way from Russia. He competes a lot. If I had done any research, I could have watched him and figured out how to beat him. But essentially, we were standing for the first two minutes. I pulled guard and brought him down. He passed my legs one time, I think. He ended up getting three points, and essentially we were pretty much stuck in a stalemate. So it was a close fight. Congrats to him, Igor. But it did make me, at first I was like, okay, I'm done competing. I'm not going to do this shit anymore. I'm a terrible competitor. I was upset with, I felt like I let myself down, let the gym down, blah, 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 all that negative shit. But now I was like, no, fuck it. I'm proud of myself for getting out there. That's what my wife and I really talked about. It's like we both had a lot of anxiety going down there, go train. Um, you know, it's her first competition as a purple belt, mine as a brown, and one of the largest uh, stages. So, but what was really cool too was being there for all the t- our teammates, our coaches were there. It was just a cool team building event. Uh, my wife and I got to go out one night at the end, just kind of hang out, celebrate, enjoy it a little bit. We used to go to Vegas all the time, and we used to love spending time out there. Now it's not nearly as much fun, but it was still good to get away. We had to hurry back, though, because my son was sick, and so we cut it short by a day. Other jiu-jitsu-related stuff, I just got in the Try Not to Die rash guard. I'm pretty happy with that thing. It seems like people really like it. I already sold a bunch of them. I haven't been trying to, but I gave a couple to different black belts around the country. They should be getting theirs this week. And, uh, yeah, so that's pretty cool. It's cool to see all of my coaches, all my friends wearing that shit, and especially because it's such a – it's really out there especially because of how it looks. It's it, it's pretty bright. It's pretty big. It's pretty in your face um, with fire and blood and like Hawaiian shirt looking. So, but pretty cool. Uh, one of the things I did yesterday, it's kind of jujitsu related, was, well, over the last two days, I have been planning, 
our next year. My wife and I have been talking about what events we want to go to as far as competitions and where we want to go for our jiu-jitsu journey and the book that I'm working on, that we're working on. I believe I'm going to bring her on as a co-author because who knows if I'll be able to keep training, if I'll be able to keep competing, all that kind of stuff. I know 100% that she will, unless something drastic happens. But yeah, so together we will be doing our jiu-jitsu journey. We will talk about everything. We, you know, why not bring her on? So part of it is she doesn't want to because she doesn't want that pressure on her. But I'm trying to get her to realize, like, all we do is go and do jiu-jitsu. I'll do all the writing. Let's just, we'll talk it through. We'll mastermind it. But anyhow, back to my calendar. I've been filling this thing out. In January, she's going to February for some jiu-jitsu thing at 10th Planet Book Raton. So that's cool. I'm not even going to go with her on that one. She can handle that on her own. She'll take photos. She'll do some interviews. That should be all good. February might be a competition in LA. Same with March. And then not until June that I have anything planned for sure. But we're going to go see my buddies uh, Marika and Misha, who you guys have probably heard a lot about if you've been on this podcast. They've come and visited us. I've spent time with them in Germany. Awesome people, but we are going to do a vacation together. So we're going to try to plan a two-week vacation with them. On that vacation, I'm sure we'll hit a gym or two. Got to plan that and see what is around there. Then in July, I will be going to Connecticut for a book fair and then go to Rhode Island. Maybe do a reading at the Brown Bookstore and then go see my buddy Carl. Team Santos going to be stopping by there for Matt Santos. I'll definitely do some our jiu-jitsu journey with him. Probably Triforce MMA and Lausanne's, who's up in Boston. After that, we have a big competition in August back in Vegas. I'll spend some time uh, training with teams out there, too. Do it right this time. September, going to Tennessee for a book fair. But then I am going to also go spend time with Steve Montgomery at his American Top Team in Asheville. I think that'll be awesome. We'll also do a book launch because we'll have Doom to Die super high out by then. Steve and I are going to be talking this week about the last three scenes that he's been working on. But again, it's nice. There's no rush on that, especially if I don't even go out there until September. Who knows when the book will, will release? Could be ready in a couple months, really, two or three months. But we shall see. And then that's it. But so there are other places that I want to go see for sure. Uh, I want to go to Pennsylvania to go see Zach Maslany. Uh, from finishers and a couple other uh, people. One of the things I did this week was I grabbed unlock in the cage and went through the back pages, which was pretty awesome because on that one, it made me feel really good about that whole event. You know, however long that book took me, I think it took me three years, but going from out of shape, introvert, not wanting to leave the house, been a stay at home dad for eight years, out of shape, not happy to starting to go and train and interview people and get more and more into the martial arts and find jiu-jitsu and find 10th planet and yeah it was just such an incredible thing I, I was talking to my wife about it because she's been to different gyms with me and how you know it can be kind of intimidating just jiu-jitsu related but i was going in there for mma sometimes for full sparring but looking at each of the gyms and the feeling that it gave me like okay how did i feel leaving going there how did i feel leaving trying to in for our jiu-jitsu journey i was like okay instead of like unlocking the cage where i went to all these different gyms you know it was like i wanted to get tons of numbers i went to 100 gyms this one's gonna be more organic and i this one's gonna be more focused on just going and seeing friends you know we'll go down to san diego donna gonzalez my co-author from 
trying to die in bright side. Great friend, a 10th planet black belt under Eddie Bravo. We'll go and see her and spend some time with her. My wife does a lot of classes with her. She's trained with her a bunch. Donna's awesome people. Jake Mapes is down there. I want to spend time with him. Boogie down at uh, 10th planet San Diego. So fucking pretty awesome just to have friends all over. I'll be going down to headquarters. I'll do something with Eddie Bravo. I'll, like I have my list of all the people that I want to hang out with. And even my buddies down the street, Gracie Baja, Alex and Bill. That'd be cool to do a little session with them, a couple sessions with them. So, and this past weekend, I just did one with Joey House. He is a Jean-Jacques Machado black belt. I interviewed Joey before when he was, him and his wife were here and they put me through an ice bath. This past weekend, I went to one of his little warriors. It was only a one-day uh, little retreat. I took my buddy Anthony. We went down there. There was jiu-jitsu in the morning, so that was cool. Before that, we did Qigong, and that was my first time doing it. It was cool. It was a great warm-up for jiu-jitsu. felt like it really helped my posture, just energy. After that, we did hape, which is tobacco and herbs blown up your nose. And that sucks the the headspace after was cool but yeah your eyes sting and just uncomfortable and after that we did combo i wasn't sure whether or not i wanted to do that that's a uh, frog poison burn your arm and then they put frog poison on it essentially i knew there was probably going to be it was going to be an issue when you go to the circle and everyone has a puke bucket right there so you eat everyone has their puke bucket with napkins to wipe their face after they're done puking because it's pretty much not guaranteed my big concern was like man I'm like i just don't want to shit myself i was like i don't want it coming out that in but i did it i did five dots on my left arm it makes the tattoo look pretty cool but that's all my stuff. Even the burn marks, like that shit hurt. It took me back to being a, you know, a teenager, young adult, putting cigarettes out on myself. But so, the poison was pretty intense. Uh, as soon as I got back to my seat, I was the first thing I said was, like, "What the fuck did I do this for?" But it was about 17, 18 minutes before I turned around. And I gave my buddy a thumbs up sign. I didn't puke. I just was able to breathe through the whole thing, the whole experience listening to the music, just trying not to puke, trying not to puke, just dealing without sweating like crazy. My entire body was shaking. Pretty intense. Maybe not the smartest thing to be doing at my age, but fuck it. I figure I'm going to die, die from something. So that was this weekend. So the other thing going on has been Death Fest Confessions. God damn. Man, I leave things to the last second. Well, I don't, I'm not trying to leave things to the last second. I'm just trying to put together anthologies, a lot of work, with, you know, 15 different authors, Thank God for Lindsay Smith. She's an amazing editor. Our names are both on it as editors, but she's the one who did all the heavy lifting. She did all the important changes. Mastermind, I got these people. I read through the stories. I would say, hey, this won't work or that won't work, but it was Lindsay that really helped whip these stories into shape, got everything together in time. On the final day, man, I woke up at 4.30 in the morning. I thought I had until midnight to get the pre-order up in time. But it was midnight in another country. So it was like four o'clock here. So instead of having more time, I just had to work the entire day. Luckily, I had my mother-in-law take the kids to school, pick them up. And I finished with about 20 minutes to spare. Now, that is the what's coming out on Christmas Eve, the 24th. But now, Lindsay and I are fixing up that docking a little bit more. I didn't have time to fully go through everything to make the back matter as beautiful as I wanted. So we're doing that over the next two days, nice and easy work. And then the print book will be ready to uh, get the proof of as well. So I'll probably order that by the end of the week. So if you haven't done so already, 
why don't you pre-order Death Best Confessions? That thing is nasty. 15 short stories. I think four or five of them are extreme horror. There's a wide variety. Um, and that's what's awesome, too. I love, all I've read this year are indie authors. I haven't read any books by anyone other than an indie author. Um, and I've really enjoyed it. I don't think there is a difference in quality. As long as you're reading a quality indie author. You could read a quality indie author or you could read a quality fucking traditionally published. You could read a shitty one of either. You could find whatever. But all my friends are indie authors. Those are the people that I want to help build. Those are the ones that I enjoy reading. And so that is what we did. You could help support us. That would be dope. Yeah, right now, Death Fest Confessions. Right now, Death Fest, Stranded Diet Death Fest, is 99 cents on Amazon, US, UK. <clears throat> Stranded Diet back at Grandma's house is free, uh, I believe, through the 24th. So jump on that if you haven't picked that up. Stranded Diet back at Grandma's house. And if you could leave a review, please, there has not been one review left on it yet. Yeah, that's why I shouldn't even put that shit out. I shouldn't put it out until I had already gotten reviews. I already always do that. I always rush releases. Same thing with the Death Pest Confessions. But it's okay. I'm playing the long game. I'm not trying to have a book. Well, it'd be nice if a book just broke out. But I'm not giving myself that kind of opportunity. But it's alright because eventually, Trinity is going to blow up. The rest of my books will blow up. And we will all be happy. And if it doesn't, who cares? Because we're just going to die anyways, and fucking doesn't matter. So th these things are not making me immortal. Oh, and last thing, Ghostland Audiobook is out. So that you can find everywhere. Uh, I think the narrator did an amazing job. So, yeah, check that out. Ghostland, trying to die at Ghostland Audiobook. Now out, Audible, Amazon. You can find it everywhere. So... All right, guys, I'm going to leave you with a short story. This one is from Twisted Reunion. I often do it around Christmas. This is Surviving the Holidays. Hope you guys enjoy it. Have an amazing year. Like I said, I'm not sure exactly what's going to happen with this podcast. I don't want to throw it away, especially after doing it for four years. So maybe I'll just pop in and out when it is convenient, when I'm in the mood. I think that's probably how I'll be handling it. Probably still be put out on either Friday or Saturday, time it with the newsletter. But... That is what is happening. If I don't talk to you next week, I hope you guys have an incredible new year. You're safe, all that good shit. I know we're going to do, we're having a big 10th planet party over here on the 30th. I'm looking forward to that at our house. But uh, yeah, so I will talk to you guys later. Peace. Surviving the Holidays At 12 years old, Paul began to suspect he was jaded. He wasn't entirely certain that he knew what it meant, but that's the word that popped into his head and it felt right. What other explanation could there be for a kid hating Christmas? Paul just couldn't wait for this day to be over, the squeals of his brothers and sisters rummaging through presents, only making it worse. He didn't want to be this way. In fact, he envied his younger siblings. He wished he could feel their joy, but in the Harrison household, when you reached a certain age, Christmas lost its innocence. Presence no longer mattered. That time had come for Paul and his older brother Ron, who was slumped next to him on the couch. They had both seen too much and remembered too well. 
Jonathan and Francis, the blue-eyed twins, rattled boxes to their ears, trying to guess what was inside. Emily fluffed a bow that had gotten smashed in the stacking, and Tina, who'd just turned five, was begging for help. Somehow she'd gotten herself tangled in a string of garland. Mother let out a little snort from the kitchen. Ron, help your sister. Ron grabbed the end of the garland and twirled little Tina around until she was finally free. From the laughter and cheer, you'd never know the family had lost five children on this very day. There were reminders, though. Their stockings were hung above the chimney. Their homemade ornaments dangled on branches. The slips of paper with everyone's names and Tommy's misshapen star on the top of the humongous fake pine. But these reminders were nothing compared to Emily's missing index finger, or Jonathan's wheelchair. Ron wore a long-sleeved t-shirt to hide his scars, but Paul had seen them before. The fifteen-year-old looked like he'd run naked through a field of barbed wire. And finally, there was Tina and the puckered pink skin around her little glass eye. She was the only one who didn't remember how she'd gotten hurt. Paul envied her the most. Only five minutes to midnight, and Christmas would officially begin. They'd vote and open presents. Paul wondered if other families had stupid rituals like theirs. Francis stood up. Paul had seen his mangled face a thousand times but it always looked worse at night in the shadows. Francis said, I'm going to clean up this year. Who wants to bet? Jonathan said, It's a little hard to tell. Yours are pretty heavy, but I bet you anything Emily's are worth more. He said, She asked for jewelry. Emily pushed Jonathan's wheelchair. You can't tell people what I asked for. You know the rules. Jonathan stuck out his foot to keep from crashing into the wall. Francis dragged out a box from behind the tree. Check this one out. It's the biggest one. It must weigh over 50 pounds. No way, Jonathan spun back and said. Maybe Mom got me the weights I wanted. Francis said, It's Paul's. Paul ran over and read the tag. It's a mistake, he said. That's not mine. It has your name on it, Emily said. It's not mine. I only asked for clothes. Francis tried to shake the present, but it barely budged. These are some heavy clothes. Only clothes. That's all I asked for, I swear. Ron said, Why wouldn't we believe you? Because I'm telling you, it's not mine. Jonathan did a quick count. It's yours. He pointed at a pile of boxes by the ottoman. And these are your others. Paul told himself weight didn't mean a thing. Two years ago, the wrapping of one of Brian's gifts had been torn, revealing a new computer box. But inside were only rock-filled socks. Less than a minute to midnight, and Paul still hadn't made up his mind. Sometimes it was better not to, just go with instinct. But this year he felt he should give his decision a little more thought. Now that Tina was old enough, things could get interesting. A loud... Ho, 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 bellowed from the hallway, and out came Paul's mother and father, both dressed as Mr. and Mrs. Claus. His dad adjusted his fake beard and grabbed his gut. Merry Christmas, children! He slung a red velvet sack over his shoulder. It sounded like metal clanking inside. Mrs. Claus handed everyone a pencil and a piece of paper. 
The kids scattered and started scribbling. Paul looked over at Emily, who covered her slip. Tina asked, Why do I have to vote? I don't want to. In a deep Santa voice, Dad asked, Do you want your presents? She shuffled her feet and nodded. Mom guided her to the table and helped her hold the pencil. Do you want two extra presents? Tina's eyes brightened. She nodded even faster. Then vote for whose presents you want. She eagerly looked around the room. Anyone's? That's the rule, Mom said. But that's not fair, Jonathan whined. She doesn't even know what her vote means. I do too, Tina said. She's five now. Those are the rules, and it's already after midnight, Mom said. Dad took off his Santa hat and bopped Tina's head with the fluffy white ball. Hurry up, he said. Tina plopped to her knees and scribbled a name. The other kids dropped their slips into the hat. Emily dropped hers as if it were on fire. Ron tossed his in. Paul still hadn't decided. Tick-tock, Paul, his mother said. Francis threw down his pencil. You do this every fucking year. Just write down a name. Mom smacked the back of Francis' head. Language. Ow! Paul felt everyone's eyes. Could they have actually picked him this time? He figured he'd had another year, at least. He'd always sworn if his name was called, he wouldn't be like the others. He'd go out with a fight. But now his legs began to shake. Paul remembered he was the only one who cried because he'd only gotten one Christmas present. It's how this all started. Dad shoved the hat into Paul's chest. Paul finally dropped the name. It seemed to fall in slow motion. Mom took the hat and stepped into the middle of the room. Okay, listen up. We're only counting this once unless there's a tie. She pulled out a handful of the slips and read the first. We have one for Paul. She held it up for everyone to see. She turned the next paper over and sounded fairly surprised when she read Paul's name again. That's two? Paul's name was called a third time. He sunk back into the couch. One more vote, and that was it. But he still had the chance for a tie. His mom looked at the next slip and turned to Paul. Oh, I'm sorry, honey, she said. Can you read the rest? Paul said. It doesn't matter, Jonathan said. I just want to know, Paul said. He's stalling, Emily said. Mom looked at the last two slips. Wow, six votes. That's unanimous, Francis said. Dad grabbed Paul's arm. You voted for yourself? Paul stared at the slips covering the table. He always voted for himself because he didn't want to feel responsible. He just never thought it'd actually come back to hurt him. He'd assumed he was the likable one. Paul's mother picked up the red velvet sack and dropped it on the table. His father continued to berate him for not being man enough to write down someone else's name. Paul stood there watching his mother dump out the gleaming contents of the sack. Okay, she said. Who wants Paul's presents? Tina and Emily dove for the table. Jonathan rolled over Francis's foot. Francis punched his brother's neck. Are you stupid? 
Paul leapt toward the table, knocking them both out of the way. He reached for the wooden handle of the jagged bread knife. Hey, he's supposed to wait, Tina said. Paul's father grabbed his shoulder and dug his big, meaty fingers deep into Paul's clavicle. Instinctively, Paul spun, bringing the knife up and slicing through the Santa suit. The sound of the blade carving through his father's stomach was muffled under the padded costume, but he was no longer the invincible titan of Paul's childhood. His father took hold of the knife, tried to stop Paul from twisting it, but Paul dropped a little lower and drove the blade against the bottom rib bone. His father began to falter. Paul pulled the knife out, slicing through his father's palm. He went to stab his old man again, but a blinding white pain ripped through his lower back. Paul whipped around, his knife tearing through the air until it met Francis's cheek. Francis cried out and dropped his butcher knife. Paul turned back to his father, who was now on his knees. Another blade tore through Paul's arm, but he concentrated on his father. He stood over him, stabbing in and out of the soft, bulging skin at the back of his father's skull. The blood poured out and dripped through the fake beard. Paul's Achilles snapped and he fell. He saw the bubbled flesh of his forearm and raised the knife to all five of his brothers and sisters. He didn't want to hurt them. He knew they felt the same or at least that's what they wanted to believe as Ron plunged the wooden skewer into Paul's chest. Francis drove his knife into Paul's arm. Emily stabbed his right. No longer able to keep his grip, Paul's knife clanged to the ground. Tina stepped forward and dragged her tiny steak knife across his throat. Paul smiled and took the weapon from her trembling hands. Gently, he made Tina turn and face his pile of presents.